Welcome to Write Now with Scrivener, where writers talk about how they work, how they develop their ideas, and how they use Scrivener, the app built for long-form writing projects. I'm your host, Kirk McElhern, author of Take Control of Scrivener. Today, I'm very happy to welcome Allison K. Williams. Allison is the author of Seven Drafts, Self-Edit Like a Pro from Blank Page to Book. And we're going to talk about the seven drafts. Allison, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Kirk. I am thrilled to be here. I love Scrivener. And so it's a real thrill to get to talk about that and writing and all kinds of cool things. You're talking to me from Dubai. And this is the first time in a long time I've had a podcast guest who's later than me. (laughs) How did you get to Dubai? Before I was a full-time writer and editor, I was a full-time circus performer, and I did uh, aerial acrobatics on the aerial fabric, the aerial hoop. I did whip cracking, fire eating, all kinds of just really enjoyable acts. And I was performing at a theme park here in Dubai when I met the man who is now my husband. And in a way that kicked off my writing career because I thought I was returning to Dubai for another gig, which fell through at the last minute, leaving me with six months of no work. And I thought to myself, well, I have been putting out to the universe for quite some time now that I would like more time to write. And the universe has gone, bam, here you go, take it. And so I started writing because it was that or be unemployed. Yes, I guess when you have a choice to make like that, it's a pretty stark choice. You mentioned before we started recording that it has gotten to the time of year in Dubai when you can go out and take a walk in the evening. <laughs> well, here in Dubai, it is, and I'll I'll put it in Fahrenheit for our American friends, it is consistently about 105, 110 in like June, July, August, little cooler in the spring, little cooler in the fall. And then we get this glorious span of November, December, January, and a bit of February, where it's like 75 and sunny every single day, drops down to like the 60s at night. And it's just so pleasant. We have a lot of outdoor cafes here in Dubai, and they do air condition them with portable air conditioners during the summer. But I just, I can't do it. I can't do a portable air conditioner, air conditioning the outside. It's just a little bit ridiculous. It is. So you've been writing, you've worked as an editor and a coach. What led you to write this book, Seven Drafts? I wrote Seven Drafts because I was noticing how so many authors have the same problems. We we all run into the same speed bumps. We all misorganize words in the same ways when we are first learning to write. We all make the same story mistakes. And it was a combination of thinking, I should just write down the stuff that I keep telling people over and over and over again, whether that's in person or in coaching or in Facebook comments even. And I also realized too that I really love being an editor as a profession and being a writer as a profession, and I have to charge real money for that to work. And yet I still want to reach the people who maybe can't pay the money to come to a retreat in Italy with me or, you know, join a six-week fix-your-memoir class. Not everybody's got that kind of privilege, that kind of time, that kind of money. With seven drafts, A writer who is disciplined and dedicated and takes a little bit of time to work through the book, they will have heard probably 90% of what I have to say about writing and hopefully been able to apply it to their work. I think this is really interesting. First of all, does everyone need to go through seven drafts in a novel? Well, 
for starters, I think a lot of people need a lot more than seven drafts. But if I called it 17 drafts, no one would buy the book. You know, it would just be too depressing. Seven's one of those numbers that's attractive, isn't it? It is. It is. It's got, you know, lucky number seven. I think it is seven stages of work rather than begin your manuscript, finish it, start to finish in one go. Okay, stop. Now do another round, start to finish. I I think they overlap a lot. And quite often, some of the drafts are more than one draft. But I think it's very helpful to separate your attention and work on one thing at a time in your book. I mean, when we first get a book onto the page, which I often call the vomit draft because, you know, just get it out, better out than in. Very often we get what Anne Lamott calls that crappy first draft and we don't quite get what's wrong with it because our brain is still filling in things that are not on the page. I, I have had brand new writers come to me, writers who had fantastic ideas, really interesting concepts for story. And the book is borderline incoherent, but it's not incoherent in their head. They just haven't fully gotten it onto the page in a way that communicates that beautiful, brilliant idea to the reader. And instead of going, okay, you got to fix your grammar and your voice isn't clear. And also your hero has no point of view. And this person is unrealistic and where's the goal and the story has three endings. I mean, that's overwhelming. It just makes your creativity shut down and run screaming into a corner. And then you're also depending on like, oh, I have to want to work on my book today. I have to be inspired to work on my book today. But there are so many things you can fix in a book without being inspired, just by sitting down and going, okay, today I am going to look at draft number four, the technical draft. And yeah, I still haven't completely straightened out my story, but I'm going to take some time and I'm going to make all of my sentences or as many as possible start and end with strong words instead of starting with a preposition or a pronoun. So instead of there were six cats on the fence, which is not a terrible sentence, but there were, it's, you know, pronoun being verb, not very interesting. Instead, six cats sat on the fence. And those are fixes that you can make by rote. You can go through and make a checklist and make your writing better. And after doing it by rote, it will start to sink into your brain. And the next draft you write, even if you're focusing on story that time, it'll be a better draft. Let's talk about the vomit draft, because that one sounds like the one you want to avoid. It does. But I will say, after I wrote the book, I saw a quote from Jenny Elder Moak, who wrote the book Hook. And Jenny had a great tweet where she said, y'all keep calling your first drafts garbage. I want you to think of that as the grocery draft. It's like you're filling your shopping cart full of all the things you might need. And then you're going to take it home. You're going to put it all on the counter and you're going to go, okay, today I can make spaghetti because I have tomatoes and I have pasta and I have this. And that's the purpose of the vomit draft to get our ideas and our feelings and our thoughts onto the page without prejudging them. You know, we have to embrace our inner five-year-old who comes home waving the finger painting and go, yeah, that's great. You really got some nice colors there. Yeah, I've never felt that the idea of the first draft is crap is very motivating for writers. It's not. And not everybody writes like that either. Like, I call it the vomit draft because I think you should, as much as you can, 
write without hindering or second guessing yourself, but people write in so many different ways. I mean, I used to think, oh, I'm not a real writer because a real writer would write every day. A real writer would have like a word goal or a time goal and every single day they'd hit that goal. And that's not how I work. I am a binge writer. I like to check into a hotel and write 8,000 words in four days because I work better when I have one steady, deep focused time to do my work. That's a very interesting thought of people who do try to carve out an hour a day or something and may have internal resistance because they just can't work like that. Not everybody is meant to be a gym worker. You know, you go to the gym every single day for a little bit, and that's the way to make progress. But that's not true for writing. You can make progress working every day if that feels good and that feels wonderful to you. You can make progress working once a month or once every six months or once every two weeks. And you can make progress by free writing and getting all your ideas out there. But you can also make progress by making an outline and adhering to it rigorously and then finding out where you want to depart, or you can have some kind of combination in between. My vomit drafts aren't very vomity because I start each day by reviewing and editing the work I did the day before, because that mentally gears me back up into the story. It gears me back up into the plot. The second one is the story draft. What's that? That's where you make sure that the story all hangs together, that there are setups and payoffs, that there are real obstacles, you know, not just my romance heroine is dealing with the boy's evil ex-girlfriend who is clearly only there as they foil for the, the good, pure girlfriend, where you give people real journeys that they must undergo and real stakes if they fail. And I like to plot things out against a dramatic structure. And there's a bunch of different kinds of dramatic structure. There's save the cat. There's the hero's journey. There's a classic five act structure that I teach quite a bit. It's not to say your work must fit this mold. It's so that you can go, oh, hey, normally there would be a climax about 10% of the way from the end of the book. My climax isn't there. Why have I made that choice and why is it important to my story or my book that I have made that choice. It's so that you, if you ignore the map, you're not ignoring it from ignorance. You're ignoring it because you've made a better choice that serves your story. The character draft, I'm guessing that this is where you want to make sure that your characters are realistic and that you've created your characters with all the information that you need for them to be functional characters in the story. Exactly. Characters need clear motivations. They need clear dialogue where each character sounds like themselves and not like anybody else. And I also encourage people to tackle their villains in this draft because every villain is the hero of their own story. I put out a tweet because I, I do a daily tweet for NaNoWriMo. And my tweet is a picture of the Wicked Witch of the West. And it says, woman's sister is killed in tragic architectural accident. She must pursue a stolen heirloom until she is murdered by the thief. You know, so there's a version of the story where she's the hero, where she's the good guy. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, man, I can't wait to get out there and oppress some people today. And even with memoir. Oh, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. <laughs> I think there are a lot these days. 
<laughs> Even with memoir, it helps people write a better book when they ask themselves, why did my parent or my ex make that terrible choice that hurt me? You know, why did they do these things? And the character draft, it's really important to have everybody be a rounded character. So the technical draft, and you mentioned this before, as you were talking, I was thinking most of my writing is articles. And I have an interesting workflow. I do a draft on my desk, on my iMac. Then I take my iPad and my Apple Pencil and I go sit on the sofa in my office and I edit it because I find it's really useful to be looking at something you've written in a different font. You find errors that way. And that's where you go through all the things like there are six cats on the fence or are sentences too long? Am I missing a comma, a semicolon? Get rid of the passive voice as much as possible, right? Exactly. And some of this, as I mentioned, can be done by rote. You can go through Word with a wildcard search and make it pick out all of the was verbing or is verbing constructions and ask yourself, okay, do I want this more passive construction of the verb or can I make this more active? And these are the kind of tasks that you can do uh, in Scrivener when you are not feeling particularly inspired, when you just want to make your writing a little bit better. The personal copy edit. And this is really the finicky details, isn't it? This is the be kind to your beta readers draft. This is where you <laughs> clean it up as much as you possibly can before inflicting it on your friends who have graciously agreed to read your book and give you feedback. And it's also something that you can do before you send in your work to be workshopped for your writing group. It just removes the speed bumps that your readers might trip over and get distracted by. Do you find that most writers have the skills to do a good copy edit? Yes and no. I mean, most of them aren't terrible. It's not going to be perfect. There's going to be places where, hey, you really need a semicolon here. But at the same time, it really is just about cleaning it up. It's not about being professionally perfect because eventually your editor will handle that at your publishing house. Or if you're self-publishing, the editor you hire will handle that. But try and make it as clean as possible. Fix the misspellings. Fix anything that you can fix so you'll get better feedback from other people. Okay, we've reached the point in your book entitled Intermission, and I think this is a good time to take a break. We'll be back to talk more about the rest of your seven drafts. Writing a book, screenplay, or even a long article is a juggling act. You need to find the right words and the right structure, keep track of research, and refer to notes. Tailor-made for long writing projects, Scrivener is the go-to app for writers of all types. Scrivener combines a typewriter, binder, and corkboard in a single app. A project outline makes it easy to get an overview of your work and flip between sections. Refer to research alongside your writing and just drag and drop to rearrange your work. Write in any order in sections as large or small as you like and let Scrivener stitch it all together when you're ready to share your words with the world. With Scrivener, you'll find everything you need to start writing and keep writing. Scrivener is available for Mac, Windows, iPad, and iPhone. Download the free trial from ScrivenerApp.com. Right now with Scrivener listeners can get a 20% discount with the coupon code PODCAST. That's ScrivenerApp.com. The intermission was the next section in your book. And one of the subsections is know when to quit. Is this know when to give up on your book because it's no good? Or is this know when to stop tinkering with things because you can't make it any better? 
It's a little bit of both. What I specifically talk about is how do you know when it's as good as you can get it, but also how do you know when as good as you can get it isn't good enough? The first memoir that I wrote, I got a wonderful agent. She shopped it around to some wonderful publishers. People either loved the story and hated the voice or loved the voice and hated the story. And about a year later, when we were still kind of trying to sell it, I was looking through for something to read from the manuscript for a reading night. And I leafed through and I thought, boring, 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 not reading that. And I realized it's not good enough. It hasn't sold because it wasn't good enough. I wrote the book before I was medicated for depression, and the book reads like somebody in unmedicated depression has written this book. For me, that was a really great realization because it let me go, okay, this book was a learning experience. I learned I can write a whole book, one that's good enough for other people to want to read it, even if it's not quite good enough to get out there into the market. I learned so much about writing, but if I was still trying to sell that memoir and hammering myself into the ground, trying to support the work of a person who's not me anymore... I would have been really miserable. And instead, I allowed myself to set it aside and start working on something else. The next section is the friend read. And every writer knows that it's hard to get good feedback and criticism. You may have a friend who says, yes, I'm going to read your book. And they never read it. Or someone else who's going to read your book. And well, it was really good. I liked it. But isn't going to offer any useful feedback. Yeah, I always hated it when I went into a workshop and I got back, enjoyed reading. Not helpful, not useful. <laughs> and for me, a lot of getting a good friend read is by making deposits in the bank of generosity a long time before you need to make a withdrawal. Your best quote unquote friend reads are going to be from people who are not necessarily your closest friends, but people who... You know them because you're in the same writer's group on Facebook. And when they were looking for a reader last year, you said, I would love to read your book. And you gave them quality feedback. The other way to get good readers is by asking them specific questions, because it is so much easier for them to answer a question than to make up criticism. People find it hard to criticize people they like. And a lot of your readers aren't really qualified to give you high level literary feedback. Feedback. So you want to specifically ask them, were there places you started skimming? Were there characters you didn't enjoy spending time with? Mark a little star in the margin whenever you got confused. And the, the easier you can make it for them to give you a specific response, the easier it's going to be to use that feedback to improve your work. And I suggest that people then go into the editor read, which is like a friend read, only it's either someone who is much more qualified than you, perhaps your teacher, perhaps a professional editor, perhaps just someone who you know is a much better writer than you, and you've been depositing favors into the bank of goodwill so that you can ask them for something now, or you've been saving your pennies so that you can pay them. And you want to fix as much as you possibly can before using up that favor or spending that money. And a good friend read is going to drive you into an even better editor read. The next step for some authors is publication. And I say some because I, I don't know what percentage of people who write novels actually get published. It's obviously more these days because it's so easy to self-publish, but it's not an easy task to get to the stage of getting a novel published or getting any kind of book published? It really isn't. And 
you can write a beautiful, amazing book and not need publication. Maybe all you needed to do was write this beautiful, amazing story for yourself. For people who do want publication, it's really important to start educating yourself even before you finish the book and start marketing it. You want to be reading places like Writer Beware, which is a blog that tracks scams, like scammy agents, predatory publishing houses. You want to be reading the Scrivener blog and learning more about how do you mechanically get your book into the the world? What are good writing tips, writing habits? You want to be reading Jane Friedman and learning about the publishing business. And most of this publishing education is free and it will save you a lot of heartache because by the time you're ready to query, you'll know how to do it. By the time you're ready to submit a manuscript, you'll know what quote unquote standard format is and how to get it onto your manuscript so that it's an easy pleasure to read for the people who'd like to read it. So here's a tip that most writers won't be able to follow. Some decades ago, I had the idea I wanted to open a bookshop. I was living in France and I contacted a bunch of bookshops, said I'd like to learn to be a bookseller. And I got hired by a bookshop in a town of about 50,000 people. I did it for three years and realized I didn't want to be a bookseller because you can't make a lot of money. You got to carry big, heavy boxes. But what was interesting is the process of interacting with readers, people who are looking for books and don't know what they want. Just a couple weeks ago, I'm right near Stratford-upon-Avon, and I went to the Waterstones in Stratford-upon-Avon, and I was browsing, listening to a woman talking to a bookseller, looking for a book, didn't know what she wants, doesn't read a lot, and, and that whole process of trying to convince a reader to buy a book is something that most writers don't know about. That's really true. And one thing I advise people, I also do a lot of coaching on writer platform and how are writers going to reach readers because it's not all clicks on Twitter. One of the key things I can say to the writers who are not working in a bookshop is watch the authors who have the career you'd like to have. Not the people who are at the pinnacle of your career, but the people who are on their way, the people who are more established than you. Look at what they do to reach readers. Did they write a certain kind of book that tapped into the zeitgeist or had larger cultural relevance? Did they spend a long time on Twitter talking to their audience one-to-one? -one? Did they make a documentary about something cool? Did they write essays and get them published in newspapers and magazines? Because watching their behavior and mimicking that behavior can be a way to help yourself get to those readers. And it's, it's so valuable to even just walk into a bookstore or a library and say to yourself, okay, when my book is published, what shelf is it going to be on? And who else is going to be next to me? And then go look those people up because they're the people you want to know what are they doing to sell books? And hopefully they'll be the people who blurb you in a couple of years if you take the time to review their books, cozy up a little bit, get on their mailing list, go to any events they do. You want to slowly and without stalking get into the orbit of the authors who you hope are going to help promote you later on. Okay, let's talk about how you use Scrivener. You said very early on that you love Scrivener and you're a real fan. Uh, how long have you been using Scrivener? I've been using Scrivener since 2008. And I adore it. So I am neither a plotter nor a pantser. When I am writing fiction, 
I write the beginning of the book. I write the end of the book. Then I write some random scenes in the middle. And then I outline and fill in what needs to be there to support what I already wrote. Sometimes I start with the idea. Right now, I'm actually working on a young adult novel where I have used Scrivener to block out, this is where a turning point is going to go. Action needs to accelerate in this next scene. Here, I need a big discovery. And I'm writing the scenes that fit those key dramatic moments because I wanted to see what's it like to write something really tightly structured. I mean, I advise it to authors all the time. I should be putting my money where my mouth is. For nonfiction, I find that Scrivener is incredibly helpful to organize a book for nonfiction. And I wrote seven drafts in Scrivener. I started by compiling, and not the Scrivener form of compiling, sorry, I mean like importing everything I had ever written where I talked about writing, essays, blogs, long Facebook comments. And I stuck it all in there and divided it up into the drafts that were the categories, figured out, okay, what duplicates what else? What needs to be heavily rewritten? Where am I missing a key point I want to make that needs to be written from scratch? And I would say using Scrivener, preparing to write seven drafts took probably four or five months actually writing the whole book, and mind you, some of this was revising and not writing from scratch, was two weeks. I checked into a hotel. I wrote 40,000 words in six days. I checked into the hotel again about two weeks later, and I wrote another 40,000 words. And that was most of what you are now holding in your hand. I find this idea of checking into a hotel to write really interesting. The idea of being so singularly focused, as long as there's no minibar, seems like a really good idea. And it doesn't have to be a hotel. Uh, I'm in the UK, there's holiday cottages all over the place. You can, you know, go in for a week someplace where you've got a kitchen and everything and you've got internet access. It's a really interesting idea for writers who just can't get over that sort of resistance to, to get things completed. It really helps to, I can't go run a load of laundry. I don't need to make food. I don't need to clean up food. You know, when I'm in a hotel, if you're in an Airbnb or perhaps a friend's guest room, which can sometimes be a great no cost alternative, you might have a little bit more you need to do, but that kind of self-made artists retreat really fuels my work a lot. And it's so important to me to do. And I'm, I'm very lucky and very privileged that I have the financial means to do it. I have no children. I have no pets. And my husband is 100% supportive, you know, and that's not the case for everybody. But even if you can just get an afternoon where you spend four or five hours in the public library in a quiet study carol. And a lot of public libraries have little office rooms or even recording studios that you can book and have a private, quiet space. It is really worth it to honor your words and honor your story by taking that time and granting it to your creativity. And a lot of cities and towns have, I don't know what the term is, where you can go in and rent an office for a day. That could be another option as well. Yeah, I love co-working spaces. I have a great co-working space when I visit my mother who is in St. Petersburg, Florida. And one of the lovely ways to make sure I have a great time and she has a great time and we don't spend our time recreating arguments from when I was 14 is for me to leave the house and go to the co-working space for a chunk of the day and think my own thoughts and focus on my own thing and then come back full of joy. Okay, this is all really interesting though. I like to ask my guests to recommend one or two books that they've been reading that they would like to share with our listeners. 
I have been reading Matt Bell's Refuse to Be Done, which I think is a lovely book about writing. And it's really precise about drafts. And the tip I got that I love the most from it is Matt says, don't keep your research in a separate document. If you're writing a novel and you have research that you think needs to be in the book, you write the scene with that information in it because otherwise your notes will be a separate dead thing rather than a living part of the novel. And then the other thing I'm reading that I really love is called A Field Guide to Color, a watercolor workbook by Lisa Solomon. And I am playing around with watercolors and it is so restful for my eyes and it is so restful for my spirit to paint terrible, messy watercolors and just go, oh, this is the kind of green that those two yellows and blues make. And this is the other kind of green I can make. And I find that as a writer, it is so useful and helpful to my creativity to do something that is not writing, that just allows me to sort of dabble in another form of creativity. And in a way, different types of creativity cross-pollinate. Because if the colors make your mind think in a different way, and then you come back to writing, your mind is thinking color and it makes different connections, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the great joys of art class when you take a class is getting to see everybody else's early sketches. And I think writers would be happier and easier in their own work if we all got to see each other's messy drafts. Okay, Allison K. Williams, I want to thank you very much. The book is called Seven Drafts, Self-Edit Like a Pro from Blank Page to Book. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Kirk. Happy Scrivener using... If you like the podcast, please follow it in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. To learn more about Scrivener, go to ScrivenerApp.com. Join us next month for another conversation on Right Now with Scrivener. <laughs>